we've been going through, starting last week, doing this, this uh, series on parables. And we're doing some of the parables, some of the stories that maybe you've heard Jesus teach, and then other times he takes normal, everyday things, and we call him this real stuff, because that's what he did. He took real stuff, and he used it to try to teach a spiritual lesson. He took real examples of life, and he wanted to pour into all of us and help us understand. And we also mentioned, I can't go without mentioning this, is that oftentimes when I was a kid, I was told that teaching about, uh, that parables were a simple story to give us a heavenly meaning, and that's true, but I often thought that it meant that it was easy for us to understand. But if you look at the way Jesus taught, sometimes he taught parables that were a little bit confusing intentionally. And that's, that's mind-blowing for us, but he wanted people who were truly seeking after him. And so that's my challenge over anything today, is that for you and I to be people who are truly seeking after Jesus, okay? Uh, today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Matthew 7, verse 1, starting there. And this is uh, one of the, the parts of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is teaching, and I, I love it. And I want to tell you, before we get there, this passage of Scripture is one of the two really in interesting things. I believe it's probably the most or most often misunderstood or misquoted passage of Scripture. And it's one that we, as when we're struggling as Christians and also non-believers, we love to quote part of this passage. All right? So if you don't know what the passage is yet, get there and we'll see here together what I'm talking about. Uh, Matthew 7.1 says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. All right? That is one of the most taken out of context passages of Scripture that you've ever seen. And I'll be honest, I've, I've been there. I've, I've told you many times before, if you're newer here, you might not know this, but I was not born in the ministry. I, I was born uh, a, a lot different, and I, I lived a very different life, and I was far away from God. I was raised in church, but I made a lot of mistakes, and I was in my heart and mind. Sometimes in my body, I looked like I was with God, but in my heart and mind, I was far from God. And I even use this passage of Scripture at times, do not judge or you will be judged, and I stopped right there. I acted like that was the only verse of Scripture that mattered, and you probably met people like that, and maybe you've been that person in your life before. You like that verse because it's like a get-out-of-jail-free card, you know? And you like to use that verse. But it goes on. There is more to it. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All right, now verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And there's that other, there's a word that, especially when we, I use it a lot when I was not living my life for Jesus Christ, because anybody who ever tried to help steer me on the right path, you know what I like to call them? You're a hypocrite. You know, I, we love it. And we throw, we like, anybody ever uh, play spades? Like, if you play spades, do you smack down, like, you know, the ace, uh, you know, ace of spades? Yep. Who played big joker, little joker, deuce of diamonds? Whatever. Okay, all right, we can get down. All right, anyway. Um, but, you know, you like, when that card's out there and, and they think they won the hand, you're like, hi, and you, bam, you bring it down on top. That's what hypocrite does when either we don't believe in God and we don't want to be talked about or we know what we need to be doing but we're not willing to live that way right now. I used it many times to kind of as another get out of jail free card. You've got an argument against me, not an argument, but you come to me, even if you come in love, I would try to find a way to throw that card out. And, and we've all seen that. We've maybe even had that used against us. And here's the thing. 
The word hypocrite is a Greek word that comes literally from the actors in plays. Many times in plays, if you see in, uh, in movies and things like that, when Greek tragedies are being acted out or Greek plays are being acted out, or even if you see like an old western and they would, uh, the moving shows would come along and people would act it out, did you notice that there's not one person for every role? Different actors, uh, one actor played many roles many times. Well, that was what they did in those Greek plays. And so they would often rely on the use of masks. So the Greek actors would come out, they'd play one role, they'd wear this mask, they'd come out, they'd play another role, and they'd wear another mask because they didn't have enough people to act out all the parts. And so this word evolved from that. A hypocrite is someone who was aware of masks who didn't let you know their true identity. And, and we understand that definition, right? When we say it, that's exactly what we mean. It's like you're being somebody, you're being two-faced, right? You're being somebody who's out there, who's portraying one thing, but you're another. And in the truest, most real sense of the word, is that true? In the truest, most real sense of the word, in some ways, aren't we all a little bit hypocritical? Yep. If not, y'all need to come up here and do this instead of me. Because I know there are times that I, I want to do right and I don't. There are times that I do hypocritical things. I try my best not to be a hypocrite, but we all struggle with doing hypocritical things. Am I right on that? We can get down with that, right? We all can struggle with doing hypocritical things. But here's the thing. Jesus did not just stop in verse 1. He did not just throw out the, the label of hypocrites very lightly. He had an important lesson. And here's what I want us to do. Here's an example. Um, I'd like to believe that Jesus, I'd like to believe that Jesus did this. I'd like to believe that when Jesus is doing this, this teaching, I'd like to think that maybe he picked up a stick. Now, it probably wasn't pressure salt treated like this piece of wood is. He probably picked up, you know, a big plank. And he probably walks around maybe like this. You know, he's holding this on his eye. And he goes up and he's got this little twig. I'm going to show. I know y'all can't see it. Tiny little twig. All right, y'all see that? I got a tiny little twig in my, my face, uh, my hand. So he's walking around. He's saying, okay, so you want to go around when you're living a hypocritical life. You're living a hypocritical life. You want to go around and you want to try to get the little tiny. And he even says a speck of sawdust. This is bigger than sawdust. If you got this in your eye, you got major problems. Let's get to the ER quick. Stat. I don't even know what stat means, but I hear it on TV. All right. Come on, y'all. Okay. All right. Okay, so he's like, you want to go and you want to take the little speck of sawdust out of somebody else's eye while all the while you have got this big plank, this big log, this big piece of lumber coming out of your eye. Now, is that going to be effective? No, it's not going to be effective on any level. So I can almost imagine maybe Jesus did that. Maybe he picked up a piece of wood. Maybe he picked up a branch, and he's like that. And he's like, well, I'm going to get this. And, he, you know, but this is not the entire sermon that he preached. There was probably more to it. So he might have spent a little bit of time on it. I don't know. But he goes on, and so it's like, I'm going to come, and I'm going to get this little thing out of your eye, but I can't even get close enough to get this out of your eye, can and, and that's what we're going to talk about here in just a second, is that if we want to truly help people, we got to do some work on ourselves first. All right? So here's the first thing I want to say before we go any farther. When it comes to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where it says what? Do not judge or you too will be judged. I first want to say this. We're not to play the eternal judge of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. I believe that's kind of one thing that we need to kind of get from that. We do not do that. Now, we have God's word, and God's word says some very specific things about who gets to go to heaven and spend eternity in heaven and who is going to choose to go to hell. And I, and I meant to say that, choose to go to hell, because there is nobody that's truly going to be sent to hell. We all will choose if we decide to 
spend eternity apart from God because the gospel has been preached for everybody, and that's why we're called as a church to preach it to everybody so that everybody has a chance to hear that they don't have to spend eternity in hell. But I believe first we got to realize that's not what our job is, to go around saying, well, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven. We teach God's word, we do it in love, but here's what we simply need to do. To, to boil it down, here's what I think we should describe what we as the church are called to do. Simply introduce people to Jesus and tell people the truth of the Bible. And let me add this one little part. And live it out. So guess what? They can't quite as easily do what? Bam! Pull down that hypocrite card. You know, if you're trying your best to live the life that you see in Scripture and that you're teaching, that makes a greater impact than you just talking platitudes. How many of you that are parents or, you know, are done raising your kids, how many of you have ever been busted by your kid, by you telling them don't do that, and they say, but that's what you did. Alright, y'all ashamed to raise your hand, I'm raising it proud because I have done that plenty of times. You know, they will call you out. Kids, they won't remember you told them to take trash out, you know, five seconds ago. But they'll remember what you did five weeks ago to bust you on it, you know? And, and but that's the way a lot of times all of us are. We want to call people out when we've got something that we can hold over their head. So here's what we understand. We simply introduce people to Jesus and teach the truth of the Bible and live it. That's what we're called to do. Now, that's overly simplified, but that's, that's the important part I want to lay down as a baseline. But here's the next thing. We don't play the eternal judge, but we do have to help people get out of sin. We absolutely have to help people get out of sin. That's why we cannot only read Matthew 7 1. Now, when you think of that hypercritical, you know, putting your thumb down on people, sort of carrying your stick around that you've got stuck in your eye and using it as a club on people. No, we're not supposed to do that. That's not what it's supposed to do. But the, the passage doesn't stop there. And it says there in verse uh, 3, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And a lot of times when we feel guilty, we won't stop there too. Okay, we're like, all right, I'll give you one, I'll give you two. I even give you verse 3, but let's not go any further. But what does verse 4 say? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? All right, we still we can get down with that a little bit. You know, if we feel guilty and we feel like maybe we're being judged, whether we are or not. Verse 5, though. He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus was not saying in this teaching that we don't need to point out sin. He was not saying that we don't need to point out sin in the lives of others. If you want to know for sure, like, well, how, how do I know that you're not, you know, taking that out of context? Well, go a few more chapters further into Matthew. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, there's a greater context here, but there's an important point I want you to get from verse 15. And I'm paraphrasing. It says, if your brother, Jesus says this, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. And he gives a whole way to help bring people who are caught in sin back to repentance. And there's several more steps there that unfortunately I don't believe in the modern church that we do that much. And that's why a lot of people just kind of go off and, and leave church forever but, and they're not willing to come back. But here's what we do. We understand Jesus is saying you're going to have to point out sin sometimes. You're going to have to do that. But here's one thing we got to realize. Why are we going to have to point out sin sometimes? You may say, well, let people figure it out on their own. But does that usually work very well? 
It doesn't usually work very well. Take your own self. If, if you don't want to be judgmental, look at your own life. When nobody would point out your error, didn't it take you a lot longer than if somebody said, look, hey, quit being silly. This is what you're doing. Like, okay. Even if you got mad at them, even if you got mad at them, you still found out quicker and hopefully you turned around and started doing the right thing. So people can't fix what they don't know. How many of you have a check engine light on? <laughs> check engine light on your car, on your dash? Y'all good, man. Y'all got nice cars. Um, but and right now I don't have one on either, but have you ever had one come up right when it's inspection time? Okay, that was one of the most heartbreaking things in the world that I found when I moved to Wake County. Is Wake County is like super, they're so judgmental. So judgmental. If you take your car in to get it inspected and there's an engine light on, automatic fail. I'm like, dude, that's some made up whack job sensor that don't do nothing. And like, fail, you know? And I'm like, so, so what do you do? If you're a good, smart person, you take a piece of black electrical tape and you put it over the light on the dash. No, I'm kidding, don't do that. Um, that'll just make you feel better. They'll pull it off and it'll still fail you. But anyway. But we don't like we don't like dashboard warning lights, do we? We don't like to see them come on because we know that there's a problem. But as much as we hate them, they also can help us, right? Because a lot of these things, especially in our modern cars that are just computerized, so many of the things that light up the dashboard are things you would never notice riding down the road. And so you won't know that there's a problem until there's a huge problem. And so these warning lights are good, and we need people to give us a, a dashboard warning light. Even though we don't like it, we got to give them that warning light, and we've got to be willing to receive these warning lights. But here's something that's important as well. You can't fix what you don't know, but look at verse 5 again. Here's, I'm not going to read it again, but here's what it said. He said, first, go and take the plank. I can't pick up little stuff with my hand. Oh. <laughs> go and take the plank out of your eye, so then you can go and take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. He doesn't stop and, and doesn't, he includes verse 5. He doesn't exclude verse 5. He says, look. Take the plank out of your eye, then go and help your brother or your sister, the person who's struggling in sin. He doesn't say let them go their own way. He doesn't say let them keep on in their way of sin and head on to their way of destruction. He says, take care of yourself first, then go and help them. So here's the thing we got to realize. Let's just get this in your head. Fix yourself, then fix others. Fix yourself, then fix others. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 says this. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, this is really key. This is really key. He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. You've got to watch what you teach. You've got to live what you teach and make sure they both come together, because you'll take care of yourself and you'll take care of others. There are going to be people that... Uh, had all maybe started with good intentions but got off track and they don't live out their truth of the scripture and they get off track and people are going to learn from them how to go to heaven and then they may not themselves. Isn't that scary? But that's, that's true. So it says watch your life and your doctrine closely. Here's a few things that we learn from that. The first thing is this. You'll see better. Do you think I can remove the speck from your eye with this in my eye? No. You know, when I've got this big glaring sin in my life, it's going to get in the way of me doing anything. My depth perception is going to be messed up and, and spiritualize that. Your spiritual depth perception. You're not going to be able to get into people's lives and help them and work with them. You've got to get this out of your eye and you'll be able to see better to help other people. You'll be listened to better. All, in all honesty, all honesty, y'all, 
if y'all go into the doctor's office and you walk in, you're like, Doc, I got a problem, I need you to check it out, and he's got a plank of wood sticking out of his eye like this, are you going to listen to what he's got to say? And he's going to knock you out as he turns and all that sort of stuff. People will listen to you better if you don't have a big, glaring sin problem in your life. And you may be thinking, hold up here, hold up here. You may be thinking, if you were like me at one time, you're like, nobody's ever going to know. They can't see my plank coming out of my eye. They may not know what you're doing, but the fruit of your life shows that there's something going on. You may hide it from some of the people some of the time, but you'll never hide it from all the people all the time. And most importantly, you'll never hide it from God. And your life will be ineffective. You may have good intentions, like I want to help people, but you're struggling with this huge sin in your life that you're not trying to get out. You've got to remove it, and then you'll be listened to better. And you'll help heal other people. Many years ago, I, I've told this story before, but it's such a powerful story. It's a true story. Um, a doctor by the name of Simmelweis in Austria, many years ago, worked at a teaching hospital. And they had maternity wards, and they also had very large morgues where they dissected bodies to learn more about health care at that time. And so the doctors would go and they do autopsies on bodies so that they could understand the human body better. And then they would go right over and deliver babies. They would walk right over and they would deliver babies. And they had the, one of the highest infant mortality rates. And even the mothers were dying after or during childbirth. And they could not figure out why. And Dr. Simmelweis started doing some experiments. And he had a few ones that were way far off. Now, this is before a lot of modern medicine. This was the beginning of modern medicine. He would do experiments, and it was way off. His philosophies, his, his theories, his hypotheses were always really far off. But he finally started washing his hands with a little bit of a solution of cleaning that would clean him. He started washing his hands, and he, stopped, he saw that the numbers of deaths were dropping quickly. And he tried to convince other doctors to wash your hands. You know what they said? You're crazy. You're crazy. Can you believe that? In our time right now, when we're told to wash our hands for 45 minutes at a time, you know, they, they, doctors did not wash their hands. They thought he was nuts. But they finally he convinced a few and a few and a few, and the mortality rates of the children and the mothers just plummeted because they simply would wash their hands going from working on a dead body to delivering a baby. Here's what I want us to understand from that. Clean hands will help you heal. If you want to help other people, you've got to make sure that you're doing your best to submit your hands to Jesus because he's the only one that can clean them. But as you continue in your walk with Jesus, you've got to surrender everything every day. The thing that you think, oh, I'll handle this on my own. I'll get over it on my own. You've got to give it over to Jesus so you can have clean hands so you can help heal other people and it'll heal you as well. All right, almost done here. Two warnings, two warnings. All right. I want you to listen. Don't go to sleep for either of these. Don't, don't become judgmental. All right? Don't go to sleep for either of these. You're going to be at either of these categories at some point or another, or you will have been in both of them. So listen to this. The first one is warning to helpers, people who want to help other people. Listen to this. Everybody, everybody wait, because I also have this stick. First, I'll start there. Anyway, warning to helpers. Perfection is not the requirement for helping. All right. For anybody who was trying to sneak out of here today and say, I'm not going to have to worry about pointing out other people's sin because I don't want to get in people's business. And by the way, I'm not perfect. For anybody who's trying to use that excuse, you cannot use that excuse because perfection is not the requirement. Because guess what? None of us besides Jesus are perfect. 
and he intended his body to help one another and point out when people in error in love to do that. So perfection is not the requirement for helping. Here's the thing. No one would help us and no one would get help if perfection was a requirement. We'd all wander around sick and blind if perfection was a requirement. It's not the requirement. So make sure you hear that. You're not off the hook because you're not perfect. Because none of us are perfect. All right, here's warning to help ease. Help ease. E-E, you know, people are going to be helped, and that's going to be all of us at some point or another. If you don't think that you're ever going to need help, then you need help right now. You really do. If you don't think you're ever going to need help, you need help right now because you've got pride and arrogance and there's something going on. All right? Here's the thing. Listen to this. This is, this is not Bible, but I believe it's a biblical principle. The truth from a hypocrite is still the truth. You hear what I said? The truth from a hypocrite is still the truth. Facebook, the truth from a hypocrite is still the truth. You and I need to realize that. There's so many things because we're struggling that we don't want to hear, that we just dismiss out of hand because it comes from somebody that we see as a hypocrite. But the truth from a hypocrite is still the truth. I'm not saying everything a hypocrite says is true. Y'all heard that, right? I'm saying the truth from a hypocrite is still the truth. And so when someone tells us something and they're trying to encourage us and correct us, even if they don't have all the right motives, we need to listen to what they say, compare it to God's word. And then if we're in fault, we need to change. All right. The truth from a hypocrite is still the truth. So anybody who's going to receive help, listen to that. So your friend, your enemy, for that matter, they may be a hypocrite, but they also may give you the correction you need. All right. Now, Let's hope and pray that the people who come to you are people who are not hypocritical. Let's hope that's the case. And for those that are planning to be helpers, let's make sure that we don't use the excuse of, okay, we're not perfect, so it doesn't matter how we live. That doesn't work either. We can't go to that opposite side of the pendulum. We can't go to the opposite side of the spectrum. We need to try our best to be clean hands and pure hearts to go and help people. But the truth is, is that sometimes even a hypocrite may tell us the truth. But here's the thing. What does it matter? What does any of this matter? Why don't we just stay in our own lane? Isn't that one of the greatest commercials? I think it's a Geico commercial to do the you know, tattoo. He's like, stay in your lane, bro. You know that guy? Don't we just want to say that sometimes? And don't we just want to say, I'm just going to stay in my lane and I'm not going to worry about everybody else's business. I, I've got enough business to handle on my own. How many times have you said that? You know, how many times have you said that? Why does it matter? Because we either care about others or we don't. Because we either care about others or we don't. Whether we like it or not, we are not in this life alone. Whether we like it or not, we are not in the church alone. The church is the body, a family of Christ, and we're called to make the family and the body bigger by reaching out to more people. So what we have to understand is because if we care about people, we're going to do what we need to do. Our vision statement for this church is till the neighborhood knows Jesus. We're going to keep going until the neighborhood knows Jesus. The neighborhood is the world, y'all. So we got a big job. We, there's no time to rest and, and sit down and shut down. We have to keep reaching out no matter how we have to do it. If it has to be online, we're going to reach out online. If it has to be socially distant, we're going to reach out socially distant. No matter what it is, we're going to reach out until the neighborhood knows Jesus. Because it's not just about us. If you're on your way to heaven, praise God, but it's not just about you going to heaven. It's not just about me going to heaven. It's about all of us going to heaven, as many people as possible. And if you want to know what persistence and love and faith does, think about what Jesus' brother said. 
Now, here's, here I want to give you a little background. Read the book of James before? A lot of people's favorite book. A lot of times we think it's one of the twelve, that James. But this James was the half-brother of Jesus, who in Jesus' ministry thought that he was crazy and did not believe in him. But through maybe part of Jesus' ministry, but definitely through his death, burial, and resurrection, James came to faith. This guy who Jesus probably patiently loved, even when he might have mocked him to his face. Jesus patiently loved him and kept pointing out the ways of the truth to him. Here's what James ultimately says in chapter 5, verse 19 of his letter. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Your life is not about you. Your life is not just about you. It's about anybody and everybody, the people that you can love. And it says, bring people back from their way of death. Turn them around from their way of sin. Now, ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. The Holy Spirit does the work. But sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to speak through you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to show the way that you live and help point other people in the right direction. But here you've got this guy who called Jesus crazy because of Jesus' love and persistence and just faithful witness. He comes around and he's telling everybody, go snatch people from the flames. You know, go snatch people from the way of destruction. Don't you think when he wrote those words, he was so grateful Jesus didn't write him off? I mean, is there a better person in the New Testament maybe to write that? The guy who rejected his own brother and said, I don't believe in you, who finally comes around. Wasn't he glad that he didn't just, Jesus didn't say, all right, fine, you're going to be that way. I need my squad. I need my crew. I, I don't care about anybody else. Forget the haters, right? You know, to, to use the way we talk. You know, I, I don't, he didn't do that. He didn't turn his back on his brother. He said, watch me, watch me. And he kept pointing to the truth. So what we need to understand is this. A couple ideas. We're almost done. Famous words from preachers, right? First is this. Seek to win a soul, not an argument. Seek to win a soul, not an argument. Many times, we don't want to talk to people. Once we do, we just want to be right. So seek to win a soul, not an argument. You want to win that person to Jesus, and you want to see them spend eternity with Jesus. And so here's the next part of that. Are you more concerned about being right, or are you more concerned about helping somebody get right? Many times it's all about our pride, and we just want to win an argument, and we just want to be right. But if we're concerned about that person who has a soul that is going to spend somewhere for eternity, then we need to do all we can to help them get right and follow Jesus. The last thing is this. You and I have to fix our eyes in the mirror clearly so we can see ourselves, to get ourselves straight, to get ourselves right. So we can clearly see other people and see how to get the specs out of their eyes. And every now and then, plank. So I want to ask you, I want to ask you, do you have a plank or a speck in your eye that needs to come out? Not going to be effective like this. Unicorns are cool, but not for that. <laughs> What's going on in your life that needs to be changed? Because the beauty is, is that God is so full of mercy and so full of grace. I don't care if you've been living a lie for 30 years. God's grace and mercy is enough. And you can be free today 
I mean, I don't care how long you've been living a lie and you think, man, there's just too many layers to pull off. There's too many masks to pull off. I cannot change now because I've just ruined everything. I don't care what you think. I care about what I know, and I know that Jesus is enough. His mercy and grace is enough for all of us. We've just got to be surrendered to it. You're never going to be perfect, so just stop playing that game. Play the game of surrender. Surrender everything to Jesus. And if you'd love to talk about that today, we'd love to spend some time talking about it, no matter where you are on the journey. Whether you claimed to follow Jesus many years ago and you got off the path or you've never followed Jesus, we'd love to talk with you about what the Bible says. The Bible talks about having faith in Jesus, and that's manifested in many ways. We, uh, we repent of our sin. We turn to Him in baptism. We're washed clean and made whole. We receive the Holy Spirit. But then we're called to live that faithful life, taking the specks out, taking the planks out, taking all these things out and helping other people. Wherever you are on that journey, or if you haven't started yet, we'd love to talk to you today. If you will, let's stand together and let's sing this song. And if there's something in your heart, let's share it with one another.